0: I just wonder how many of you feel like Xavier when you go to read the Bible or when you pray or when something else is like, man, I go there and I don't really feel fed. <laughs> I go there and I just get a little bit and sometimes it's still good, but I, I don't feel like I'm growing. And if this kid had to feed himself all the time, he would, I mean, honestly, he, would, he wouldn't live, but he would never grow. And I wonder how many of you currently feel that like, man, I go to the Bible I get nothing out of it. I go to it. I don't understand. I, I try to pray, and I'm just talking this an, ambiguous thing, and it doesn't happen. And so the, the goal of this training is that you would be more of a self-feeder, that you would turn, whether you can feed yourself or not at this point, that you would then be able to scoop the, the Greek yogurt into your mouth and enjoy <laughs> because it's good, and we want you to grow. And so much of the Christian life is spent, even, even in churches, with people who go to church once a week and then never open up their Bible again. It's like, man, you're not going to grow eating once a week. And we want you to love and treasure it. So not only do we want you to grow, but we want it to be in joy. And so I think another part of this is we want to see, will this be a successful project? And some of you are like, it's already been a success. I sang my best song last night. There's no, there's no going back. Bailey, that might have been your high point. Just enjoy that. Um, Laughter but, but I really don't think we can evaluate this project until 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. Because if you guys are still walking faithfully for, with the Lord, then it'll be a huge win. This was a success. But if you learn to study the Bible, you read all of First Peter this summer, you, uh, and you guys w- walk away from the faith, and people, men and women, from this project, sitting in this room, aren't walking with Jesus, it was a huge failure. Like we wasted time, money, supporters' efforts, everything else. And I think the most vital thing um, that will go towards you walking with the Lord faithfully, even though he's the one guarding, is you being in the Bible consistently, which is why we're taking the time to talk about it, which is why we have a plan to study it. And um, I really want you guys to treasure the word of God. And it's precious. Um, And so um, with that being said, I know everyone in this room is a little bit different place. And so some of you in here, don't know if you believe the Bible's true. Like when I, when I hold up this book, or you think about studying in the morning, you're like, why am I reading a 2,000-year-old book that have, doesn't have any relevance? And that's okay if that's what you think right now. And hopefully I address that. Some of you believe this. You'd say, this is true. But then if I were to look at your lives, you don't really read it. And it's like, man, I know this is a good thing. I know I should desire it. But every morning my alarm goes off. And I just want to sleep in. Um, and... And others of you would say, I I want to read it, I plan on reading it, but I always run out of time. Like, in my day, it just never actually happens. Um, Some of you in here used to treasure the Bible, probably loved it, read it a lot, and life got busy, and you've lost your first love, and the Bible hasn't felt as exciting. Um, And some of you in here treasure it. And that whole spectrum, and there, there might be somewhere in between, all of that is okay. And guess what? What Brittany and I and and the staff's hope and everyone else is that you would just take a next step. So if you currently don't believe that the Bible is even a true thing, maybe after today or maybe after this summer you would say, I at least think it's true, and now I need to find a way to prioritize it. Some of you might know it's good, but you always run out of time, and we'd love for you just to read it. Um, But we just want a next step. Um, But I think in all of this, here's the reality. We don't want to naturally submit to something that's not ourselves. We take issue with it. And so I'm going to show a Tim Keller quote. Um, which is This is just the start of why I think we should go to the Bible. Then I'll pray, i give you the outline, and we'll jump in. Right. So this is Tim Keller from Center Church. Imagine you're in an orchestra and you begin to play, but the sound is horrific because the instruments are out of tune. The problem can't be fixed by simply tuning them to each other. It won't help for each person to get in tune with the person next to him or her because each person will be tuning to something different. No. They will all need to be tuned properly to one source of pitch. Often we go about trying to tune ourselves to the sound of everything else in our lives. So what Tim Keller's saying, if you guys were an orchestra, we couldn't just start with Hezzy, and then Brandon's gonna get in tune with him or whatever else, because Hezzy could be out of tune. And in all of our lives, we're out of tune in areas. In all of our lives, we make horrific sounds. And this is saying, I think what he's getting to is, man, you need one thing to tune your life to whether it's the church, but you need one source of truth that's actually going to be um, what you go to. And so I want this to be an, an in-tune room um, with each other with the Bible. So I'm going to pray, and then and then we'll really jump in. So, um, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm incapable of communicating how sweet your word is. I am a hypocrite who often... Um, thinks of other things I would rather do. Even my Wheel of Time fantasy book, I would rather read that so much more than your word. I would rather check on ESPN or go somewhere else or sit alone in silence or just play with my dog than I would read your word. <clears throat> Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. And would you even stir in my heart an affection for your word today more than what I currently have? And would you do that for these students? And so um, would you be gracious today? And we pray this all in your son's name. Um, side note, my wife is gone. I'm picking people up at the airport right now, or a person. So no matter how today goes, if you guys could all tell her I did really good, I would really appreciate that. And then I just get to get her affection regardless of, it's like the gospel. You just get all the credit without. So if you could each, each one of you tell her Nate was really good this morning, that would, that would be great. Um, but the outline for today. So I'm going to go through first. What is the Bible? I'm going to have three main points with that. So you don't have to write them down now, but just so you know, it's God's story. You're oh, double-sided printing. It's trustworthy, and it points to the person of Jesus. And then the second big category is why should I read it? And so, but those are the big. What is it? And why should I read it? And we'll see. Also, technology is one of my worst things. So this is going to be a challenge. So, what is the Bible? Number one, it is God's story. And so. Um, this means, Paul did a really good job explaining this the other day, but this means it is not a rule book. It is not strictly a playbook or a myth. It's redemptive history. And so Paul's quote about the, the storybook Bible, where he's like, I want you to close your eyes and be enchanted with the story that God's written as the ultimate author is just beautiful. Um, and so... If you're curious and you don't know much about it, uh, we would say that the Bible is written both by God and by human authors, which is 40 different authors plus a couple we don't know. So 40 different men and God wrote it together. And where we get this from is Scripture. And so 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So, all scriptures breathed out by God. He is the one breathing it into existence. He's the one who's writing it and making it thing. Psalms 19, 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So, not only does it talk about it being good, but you know it's the law of the Lord. It's, it's of the Lord. This is not man's law. The testimony of the Lord. The precepts of the Lord. All of it is written by the Lord. In fact, Scripture claims over 3,000 times. Think about that. Over 3,000 times the Bible claims the words are from God himself. That changes everything. Shakespeare might be great. He's not God. Um, And these prophets who are claiming, who are writing for him, in Deuteronomy 13 talks about does anyone know what happened to a prophet if their word didn't come true? Derek, do you know it? We talked about this in group, man. You, call it, you try to set the guy up. And you, but prophets were killed. So if you say something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, you get put to death. So these men, when they're writing this, this is no joke. When they're prophesying whatever else, they're putting their lives on the line. And you just don't throw your life away like that. So every time they're saying this is God's word, they're putting themselves on the line of the Lord has spoken to and through me. And so, um, but it's God's story. And he wrote his redemptive history to be beautiful to you. But God is the author. Um, But since Paul, I cut some sections because I'm like, Paul talked about this quite a bit. Don't need it. Oh, we're going to skip that for now. Oh, this thing. Okay. Okay. Number two, it is trustworthy. So this is we're trying to build together. So if God wrote it, that means something. So if God wrote it, therefore it is trustworthy. And the book is trustworthy. Because here's what happens. If you can prove one part of this book is not true. So let's say Richie was like, bro, I found out Romans 9, whatever else. And this doesn't line up with the rest of the Bible. It doesn't line up with scripture. It doesn't work the entire book falls apart. It's completely worthless, because then for the rest of the time, I can say, well, is this true or is this not? If this is written by God, how come this failed? And you immediately lose all the validity of Scripture. And yet, in 2,000-plus years of tons of men and women trying to prove this thing true because they don't like it, they can't. They haven't been able to. It's it is backed up itself in unbelievable ways. Um... Uh, my wife was a history major, and she her favorite part of studying history, she would say all the time, like, everything I learn in history, especially ancient history, backs up the Bible. She's like, I learned context and stories and places and things, and it just builds up the Bible. And one of her professors had a quote saying, um, history and archaeology back up everything in the Bible. If something is unproven, that means we haven't dug for long enough. And so everything they find is backing up the Bible. To the fact of, uh, which I have a lot more resources on this if you'd like it, but archaeologists, this is a quote from History of the Bible, archaeologists have consistently discovered the names of government officials, kings, cities, and festivals mentioned in the Bible. Sometimes when historians didn't think the people or places even existed. Just one example, the Gospel of John tells Jesus healing a cripple next to the pool of Bethsaida. The The text even describes the five porticos or walkways leading to the pool. Scholars did not believe the pool existed until archeologists found it 40 feet below ground, complete with five walkways. Like little details like that. It just, it, it doesn't miss in everything they find. And, and another quote they have is, I mean, all of you were taught American history. And have, there are things in our current textbooks about American history that they have not found, that they don't really have record of. And they put it in like, this has to be truth. And they can't prove it. And that's only from 300 years ago, let alone 2,000. And so you might say, well, that's valid. But what about what I'm reading now? And I thought this was just a helpful chart of proving that something's true. How many have heard of Plato as an author? Good, if anyone hasn't, you can go back to college. Um, but he has this really famous story called The Republic, which he wrote in 380 BC, so a really long time ago. The earliest copies they have of this book were written 1,300 years after. So just think about that. 1,300 years passed before we have an official copy of this, and our total copies is seven. And you will not meet a single historian that says Plato did not write this book. Everyone, it's just stamped as true. Plato wrote this way back then, and the copies that we have now are what he had. Interesting. Caesar wrote the Gallic Wars, and it's, it's somewhere between 144 B.C. The earliest copies we have years after, even if you took the earliest date, are a thousand years afterwards. And they have 10 total copies. There is zero doubt he wrote it, zero doubt that this was a part of history, and zero doubt that this is the correct um, version. Then we have author God, which kind of trumps the other two, but I'll throw that in for people. The Bible, um, dates written, most of the, this is for the New Testament between 50 and 100 AD, so after Christ came. The earliest copies were written between 50 and 225 years after. And we, have, and we have over 5,000 copies with over 99.8% similarity. And those 0.2% are based on grammatical errors and spelling errors. And when people were recopying the New Testament, it, they had to write one word at a time before, before stopping. So they, couldn't even, they weren't allowed to look like it's the most exact, precise thing. And yet, some of these same historians would say, some of them would say, well, the Bible's not true. It doesn't make any sense. Like, statistically, it has to be so much more true than what we have. Um, Mike Pauly spoke at the U of M a couple years ago, and I think just had a quote that I think is powerful. And while he was tearing up, starting talking, he just said, you can stake your life on this book. I would say that to you. There is nothing more true in your life than this. Do you treasure it like that? This will never lead astray. It will never go apart. Um, It is beautiful. Um, Point three of what is the Bible. It all points to the person of Jesus. This is where it starts to get really sweet. So not only is it God's story, which is part of why it's God's story, is it points to Jesus. Not only is it trustworthy, but it all points to the person of Jesus. Um, So John 5.39, this is Jesus talking. You search the scriptures because... You think that in them you will have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So the Pharisees and other people are looking for life in the Scriptures. They're, they have the Torah memorized. They know more about the Old Testament than, than we may ever know. And he's saying, you've missed the whole point. All of the Old Testament was pointing to me. It's all a picture of me. And in Luke 24, this is when, after Jesus resurrected, he, he, uh, he comes to two guys who are walking. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So everything's about him. The prophecies, the stories, um, there's all sorts of places you can begin to look um, for these stories. I would challenge you. You want to know about Hebrews, go to Taylor. He loves Hebrews. The entire book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is better than all these Old Testament characters. The book of Romans, Jesus is the better Adam. He's, he's the better Abraham, the better Moses. You can go through all these characters. All of them are just a pointer to Jesus. And I'm not saying every single verse, you have to say, if this doesn't apply to Jesus in some way, but the entire story, all of the narrative, Emma laid it out the other night, that all of the Bible is going towards one singular story. And this is what it is. And this is what you get to see. And it all points to Jesus, and it's unbelievably sweet. Um, so that's a little bit. Yeah, I'm trying not to talk for too long. But, so the Bible... God's story, it's trustworthy, and it points to Jesus. So now why should you read it? And I have three main points that will also, they should connect back. So point one, you are not the main character. Which part of this, if the story is about Jesus, that means you can't be the main character. Even, you, hopefully you just studied, I believe yesterday, 1 Peter 9, and it keeps using the term you over and over and over again. But then you see right at the end of that, like, you obtain the salvation, obtain the salvation of your souls. It's plural. Even when it's saying you, it's not about you, but it's about a group of people. Um, and this is why I think this is actually really sweet. Some of you, you might feel disheartened right now because um, we all want to be the star. But I think this is actually far better. So Jim Cofield is the guy who did our staff training a couple years ago. And he had this story, which I just want to share, about Star Wars. Has anyone not seen Star Wars here? Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's embarrassing. But cool, too. I'm glad you like choices. But anyways, Star Wars is a big deal. And he went to this. It was like a Comic-Con convention. A little nerdy. I can say that. I'm a nerd. That's fine. But he said there was just something that stuck out to him. So there was all these autographs. You could pay and meet the actors and actresses of Star Wars and it'd be like $20 you could get Luke's autograph, or $25 you get Han Solo's autograph, everything else. And then standing way in the side, there was this dude with this sign that said Stormtrooper number five. And it was like $2 for his autograph. Um, No one knows what he looks like. Could be a hoax and everything else. But this is what he said that I think was just profound. He's like, how much sweeter is it to be a small part in a grand, beautiful story than to be the main character of a story that's terrible? And this is what you have the opportunity to be. Is it glamorous to be stormtrooper number five that can't hit anything when they shoot and has a mask on the whole time and everything else? Yes, when it's a part of a great story. And this dude has made his living being stormtrooper number five. And I'm like, man, I wanna be Nate Van Zee number five. I don't know how that translates. Um, But it's sweet to be uh, a small part and it puts yourself in proper context. Um, This is a picture of the Grand Tetons. Ellie and I went and visited. I didn't take this picture, I copyrighted it, but probably shouldn't have said that on the recording. But, anyways, but they were just majestic, and you just looked at them, and it was awe inspiring. And every photo we'd take, we're like, this sucks, that's not very good. And I like try to take it, and they're just so beautiful. But what also made them so beautiful is it meant, man, Nate, you're really small. You're insignificant, you're not a big part of this. And it made me revel at it more. And I would just say, I thank you guys. When you realize you're not the main character, you get to enjoy Jesus so much more. Um, and one point with that, I think too, um, especially you Northwestern and Bethel students, I would just wonder how often you've been like me and you have sinned significantly and you have fallen, you have everything out, and there's been mistakes made in your life. And the next day you, you think about opening the Bible and you want to run from it. I can't. Not today. Not today. I want to propose something. I think that's because you think you're the main character. Like when Nate doesn't want to read the Bible because I have sinned and I have looked at something or I have said something to my wife or anything else, the reason I don't want to go to that is because of my shame because I think I'm the main character. If I really believed Jesus was the entirety of the Bible, I'm going there to get grace and mercy and see what he says about me, and my identity and everything else. I would sprint there. But... So you might think, I don't put myself in the main character. I think we do. We put ourselves as the main story. And when you're the main character, obviously it's shameful to go to the Bible. Um, so that's point number one. You're not the main character. it's really sweet. But this truth does affect your past, present, and future. See how this is lining up? God's story, you're not the main character. It's trustworthy. This truth affects your past, present, and future. So you might not be the main character. Um, But all three of these areas, I think, are going to drastically change your life. And I just want to say right now, as we're talking about past, I know just a little bit of the pain in this room. Um, I'm so sorry. Um, This world has fallen. You should not have gone through what you've gone through. And some of you have been abused. Some of you have been hurt. Some of the sin of your people and your family has destroyed you. Um, Some of your own sins have hurt other people massively, um, and it's taken care of. So I didn't put it on there because a little longer passage. Zechariah three one through five is my favorite passage in the Bible. Um, but it's Joshua the high priest standing there with filthy rags, and, the, and Satan is standing there accusing him, saying, "This is all you've done wrong." While God is standing there, and He doesn't, and God doesn't say you're incorrect. Satan can keep, just keep coming and coming and coming, and the angel of the Lord is standing by, and all of a sudden the Lord says, "Like stop, remove the filthy garments." put white garments on him and they stay forever. Everything that has happened. Some of you need to hear this. Your past is free. And the Bible talks all the time about what your past has done. Or Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. Why should you read the Bible? It's a chance to get free of your past and what Jesus actually says about it. What he actually does with sin. What he actually engages you're not slaves to your past anymore. I think that's worth reading about. It affects your present. We're not going to talk a ton here. It gives. I think there's... Because we're going to talk all summer about it. But it gives your present a whole new purpose. It gives you a reason to live. It gives you a reason to make the main character glorified. Um, and it gives you freedom from sin and ability to say yes to Him. And I'm not going to say so much more because I don't want this to feel like a rule book. I don't want it to feel... Um, like, oh, just give me the solutions to fix my present. If you want to talk about that more, I would love to talk about you. The staff, team leaders, room leaders would all love to talk to you. But you're going to get tons of stuff this summer on what your present could look like. But it gives purpose for your present. And this truth affects your future. Um, you get to know where you're going. You know the end of the story. You get to see where Satan and, Satan's and evil's Is actually going to go. You get to see what you will be as a redeemed creature. Um, You're going to spend eternity with Jesus. Even First Peter's we've been studying. It talks about your inheritance, your salvation, how you're going to God guarding your faith is going to bring praise, glory, and honor to Jesus and yourself. Your eternity with Jesus. That's locked in. You get to put your, you get to stake your life on that. This is where I will be one day. And this is what you're going to get have said to you if you're faithful in Jesus. Matthew 25, 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Walking up, feeling all sorts of shame, seeing Jesus, and he smiles upon you and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I think he's actually going to say son or daughter. Um, Come enter into the joy of your master. It's unbelievable. Um, It truly is. And then, if you really want to say a lot, Revelation has tons to say about your future, but it's all over the Bible. But the pat or the truth affects your past, present, and future. Um, I don't want that yet. we um, go. Number point number three: You get to see who Jesus really is, and this is why we treasure the Bible more than any other reason. And so. It might be like, well, I really want to read the Bible now because I want to figure out more about my past and letting that go or my future or what my life should look like. But the whole book points to Jesus. And there's nothing sweeter and more precious than seeing him more. Um, This is the reason we are freed from our past, present, and future. He's the name above every name, the one who sings over us, the one who delights in us, the one who smiles, and the one we'll spend eternity worshiping. And so we already saw this picture and all analogies fall short. Oh no. Um, all analogies fall short. But, um, Michaela Ramsey's not here, some of you may know her. Uh, as soon as the first Marvel trailer dropped for Endgame, she came like screaming into the Billy or whatever and was like so excited and freaking out. Um, but then there were so many, and everyone who watched the trailer, their affection for the coming movie increased. And I think this is a small picture. It's not perfect of what reading the Bible is like. It's like a a trailer that can never spoil. That just gets sweeter and sweeter with time. So you see a little snippet of it. You see a little snippet of Endgame coming, and it burns your affection for the movie. I think learning about Jesus now is going to make your affection for him now increase, and one day you're going to be like, man, that was so sweet, and that still wasn't close was better. And each day you're getting like a little more of the trailer, a little more of a snippet of who is he actually, who is his character? What does he say we are? And you're just going to get to love the fullness of him all the more. Um, so before we jump into some practicals, I do have one question for you guys. Do you actually, when you think about heaven, when you think about the Bible and everything else, do you really want Jesus or do you want the stuff he can give you? And so Here's my question, which I want you to to really think about this. If heaven had everything you could ever want. So think of your your favorite foods, your your favorite people, your favorite activities. So for me, I'm thinking a lot of steak. There's really good fishing. Um, My wife is there, my family's there. Unfortunately, my dog is there, but I'll probably enjoy him more in heaven. Um, Xavier is there and we get to enjoy him. There was no more cancer sicknesses, issues, your body would last forever, no more pain, and Jesus wasn't there, would you be satisfied? So everything you could ever dream on this earth is there, and Jesus isn't a part of heaven, would you be satisfied? I hope that repulses you. And yet sadly for probably most of us in this room, it doesn't. But I hope we would get to the point of that repulses me. The point of heaven is Jesus. If everything else could fail and I could just be with Jesus, it would be perfect. And I want that to be the Bible for us. It's just to see Jesus. But something to think about. And if your answer would be no, please don't just, or that, yeah, I would, sorry, I would be satisfied. Don't just throw that off. Talk about that. Why would you be satisfied? And I think it just begs the question, do you love him? Do you really love him? I'm not saying you necessarily don't. Um, but I get to, yeah. So what can I do with this as you're reading the Bible? I've got a few practicals. Number one, look for promises of the Bible. Whenever there's promises that can have your name attached to it, you cling to them. And I would say when you're, when you're reading the Bible, ransack the Bible for them. Look and actively seek out any promises you can get that talk about what's going to happen. Number two, when you see sins or things that you're doing and everything else, you run from them and you turn to God. So as you see commandments, as you see things, you're like, my life doesn't align with that. You run from it and say, Lord, change my heart. I don't want to pursue this anymore. I want to pursue you. Number three, when you see passages about God's character, who he is, I'll challenge you, just stop reading for a minute and just marvel at who he is, worship him. Tell him what he is. Tell him how he's unlike you. How there is none like him. Uh, and just worship his attributes that are unbelievable. Number four: Whenever you see stuff about your identity, cling to it and pray to it that God will help you believe. So when I was talking about suffering your past, that you're free from your past. When you see passages about that, cling to it and say, Lord, make that true. Because I know none of us believe that like we should. What we really do is we we kind of hold on and we're like, Yeah, maybe God's forgiven. Given me, but I'm not going to forgive myself yet. And that's not true. Who are, that's arrogant to think you get to be the judge of yourself. But when you see stuff about your identity and who you are in Jesus, cling to it. Number five, when you have questions, when stuff doesn't make sense, there's going to be stuff in 1 Peter you are not going to understand. Um, even as Paul and I were talking about this one part, he's like, I looked up Martin Luther's commentary and he said, the only thing I know for sure is that I don't know. And that doesn't mean it's ignored. But you have a big enough God that lets you wrestle with questions. So don't, when you don't understand something, just don't throw it to the side or say it's impossible. But just wrestle with it. Say, Lord, I want to, I want to see what this is. I want to be challenged. And then number six, always ask the question, how does this point to my Savior? Where's Jesus here? Because he's there. I promise you he's there. Maybe not in every verse, but in sections and everything else. And would it help you treasure and love him more?